Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. <laughs> I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help you things understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleep with what I'm saying. Faith without work is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Blackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the palm looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the trenches five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're stuck at trying to reach, huh? But after him who was able to present your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. pleasure really is a pleasure uh, always have the opportunity in order to be able to speak with you know an accomplished host like yourself uh, you know it's a pleasure of mine as well oh thank you thank you and I'm working hard to be all that I can be Mr. Schultz give me one second let me introduce you uh, today we have Mr. Shane Schultz who's a motivational speaker health advocate and the founder of speaking to the heart podcast network uh, through his struggles with depression, uh, PTSD, chronic nerve pain, and suicidal suicidality. That's okay, suicidality. I got that one. Shane has made it his purpose to help others who are more like him than differed more than the challenges that he faced. In 2015, Shane took his purpose to the podcast world, where he's built a leading health awareness podcast network featuring the patient's voice. Mr. Schultz, thank you so much for joining us, and I know you have a wealth, a wealth of information um, to share with our listeners today. Well, I hope so. (laughs) 
I know that I know that you have plenty of uh, good hosts that are that are there and, and co-hosts that have been with you and everything. And I've listened to quite a few uh, a few of your shows there, and and so I hope that I can match up. Oh man, I'm t- I mean, and you actually made it through them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, the procrastination one had my had my attention. Let's put it that way. Oh man, listen! I have to listen to that one over and over and over again. I wish more people <laughs> in the world would listen to that one. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, Shane. Well, let's start off. Well, who is Shane Schultz? That's the first one. Well, you know, it seems like uh, every host, you know, ends up asking their visitor or their guest, you know, who is this person? You know, why are you here? What what are you about? And, you know, a lot of people would look at it as being really kind of arbitrary and, oh, it's his name and everything like that. But it really is a complex question because there's a whole lot that's involved in our name and who it is that we are. And first of all, my name is Shane Schultz. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in New York uh, in a small town. Uh, I was born in Troy, and I was raised in uh, an outskirt town called Aver Park, uh, out, out in that way. Uh, I had two loving parents, uh, Lori and Ken. Uh, I also had my biological father, of which, you know, he had left uh, by the age of four, um, I have had the opportunity in order to be own businesses. I've had the opportunity in order to be able to, you know, make a difference in the world in a number of different ways. I've also dealt with clinical depression and I've dealt with suicidality and I've dealt with a lot of different struggles and challenges in my life as to where I lived in 16 states in this country. And, uh, you know, in that experience, I now uh, utilize uh, that experience as well as those you know, events that have happened in my life in order to be able to help others be more than the challenges that they face. Yes, sir. Well, let's start off with uh, uh, the suicide suicide thing. At uh, I see you were talking about eight years old. What what would trigger something like that? What kind of thought would go into that? Some really, really, honestly, some dreadful ones. Uh, you know, at age eight, a lot of people would say, my God, what in the world would you be so depressed about as to where you would be thinking about taking your own life at eight, at eight years old? And it's not like right. you really think about it. It's that you actually just kind of are in the event of it. And let me explain. I was at my grandfather's house, my grandmother and my grandfather's house. I was sleeping over, and I happened to be sleeping in uh, my uncle's old room. Right. And so he was like a a hero to me. My uncle Donnie was like a hero to me, like a big brother. Uh, So I wanted to know, you know, what did Uncle Donnie, you know, have around in his room and everything. So I, you know, was snooping around and everything. And I opened up a drawer and lo and behold, there's a revolver. And, uh, you know, the revolver is about, you know, a 44, 45 at the time. I really didn't know. I, I think it was, I think it ended up being told to me that it was a 45. Um, and I took that revolver out of the drawer and I pointed it at my chest. And I, and I said, you know, all I have to do is pull this trigger and it's finally over. And a lot of people would say, are you kidding me? You're eight years old. I mean, why in the world right. would you be doing that? And all I can tell you is, Lamont, is that, you know, I hated my looks, I hated my voice, and I really hated the way that I thought and felt. It just so happens that I now make a living off of my voice, my looks, and the way that I think and feel. So, you know, but the bottom line is, is that I had that revolver pointing at my chest, and, and as you know, at eight years old, your fingers aren't all that big in order to be able to handle something like that, so it was kind of shaking and everything like that. And uh, I literally said that, and then all of a sudden there was a voice came from downstairs, and it was my grandfather's voice, and it said, come on down for ice cream sodas. And, you know, it was a way of, you know, the higher power kind of saying, hey, look, you know, you have a choice. You can, you know, take yourself off this earth, or you can go get some ice cream sodas with your grandfather. And uh, I made that choice. I made that choice to go get some ice cream sodas with my grandfather. Now. He had no idea what was going on. 
right? He had no idea that there was any type of danger like that at all going on upstairs. But, um, you know, he was, he really did make a difference in my life that day. Okay, well, question number two. Um, Eight years old, I'm trying to think what I was doing at eight years old. I think I was riding scooters and um, tearing up roller skates and I did that all too, you know. I did all that. I jumped. I jumped bikes. You know, I had a a dirt bike and I had a a motorbike, you know, a little uh, moped and everything like that. I did that. You know, I was a a fan of Evil Knievel and Steve Austin, and I played baseball. I did a whole lot of different things. The problem is, is that it's really not what it is that we do. It, It really is what it is. The, the situation and the situation is is that I was dealing with a mental health challenge even at that young age and we'll go a little bit further well, I was into gonna, that down the road yeah I was I was going to get into that and I was you're leading into my next question too do you feel like um, that the mental health challenges that that you realized uh, later on that may have been contributing to that thought that you had when you pointed the gun at your chest Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it that I was dealing with some clinical depression. And here's the thing, Lamont, there's a problem when it comes to that word depression. And and the reason why is because of the perception that that it leads to. See, everybody deals with depression in some manner, right? And that's the emotion of depression. We all have had things happen to us. We've had people who have left us. We've had people who have passed away. We've had relationships that didn't work out. We had jobs that didn't work out. Whatever that is, we've all had the emotion of depression. What we did not all have is clinical depression. And clinical depression literally has a nine points of criteria, okay, of which you have to have five of those points in order to be able to qualify, quote, unquote, for to be known as clinical depression. The problem is, is that we don't ever say clinical depression and we just say, oh, he's dealing with depression. And then the right. next thing you know, somebody might have some sort of, you know, crass remark saying, well, we all deal with depression. You need to get over it. And, you know, that's just really not the case. It is, a, it is something that is different. And that's where, you know, I try to educate, you know, I, I do the best that I can to be able to, to entertain, educate, and empower all in one spot. And so, you know, I can tell you this, that my first suicidal situation was at eight years old. My first suicidal attempt, my full attempt was at 11 years old. So it's not like I really, you know, took a huge jump from eight to say 28. I went from eight to 11 before my first attempt. So there definitely was something going on. Shane, uh, um, I know I want you to uh, clarify some things for some of our listeners, too. Uh, I know you touched on it briefly, but give us a little bit more uh, details about the difference between uh, depression, I know that's a general term, versus Mm. the clinical depression. Well, you know, clinical depression is well known for the dread of it all. Like you don't even want to get up in the morning. You don't want, you know, a lot of people will say, well, a lot of people don't want to get up in the morning. Well, what I'm saying is, is like, you don't want to live through the day. You don't even want to get it started, right? Um, It's more than just staying home from school or staying home from work. Um, You know, another thing is, is that you do not enjoy the things that you did before. Like, say, for instance, let's say you enjoy watching football, or in my case, I love playing golf, right? I mean, I played golf when I was very, very young. And then all of a sudden, you just don't have that liking anymore. You just don't enjoy it anymore. In fact, you don't enjoy much of anything. You're really kind of like on a, on a dead space. You're kind of like on an even keel all throughout. You know, so it, that, there's that. And then there's, you know, you could – this is where a lot of things people will say, well, this can happen to a lot of things. Well, it's true, but again, these points of criteria are to show warning signs. Like you can gain weight or, or lose weight in a very short period of time. Um, you could have your life being dictated by that depression. In other words, like you lose jobs or you don't go to school and therefore you, don't, you end up having too many tardies at, at school. And next thing you know, you're going to have to do the, the year over again 
um, you know, there's there's also those aspects of it too. So, you know, I mean, it's it's much more deeper than just the emotion. The emotion is something that is on the surface level. It is something that what you'll find, like you'll say, like your emotional bucket, right? It's when you all of a sudden, you know, your your bucket overflows, and next thing you know, you've got some tears going in your eyes. You got some upsetness going within you. You're deeply upset or you're deeply saddened, and that is emotional. But when it comes to clinical depression, you're talking about something that goes on 24-7, 365 days out of the year. And that even, that's even with the medications that, you know, that people will prescribe in order to be able to help you. I mean, you're still dealing with it. You just find a way to be able to manage it a little bit differently if things are going on an even keel. Right. Okay. Got it. Helping people cope with it a little bit more, but it's an ongoing situation. Right. So you you mentioned that you were dealing with uh, uh, your issues um, at an early age, and uh, did you come to a conclusion as to why? Well, yeah, at age thirty five, <laughs> you know. Um, okay. Yeah, honestly, um, you know, I mean, because what happened was, here's the thing. I had a lot of advantages that people don't get to have. And Lamont, I'm sure you can understand this when I say this. I had two loving parents, okay? That's a pretty big thing right. this, this year, right? That's All a right? major thing for a lot of years. Absolutely, absolutely, right? You know, so I didn't have to worry about a roof over my head. I never had to worry about food on the table. Um, Christmases were pretty darn good, you know? Um my parents made sacrifices in order for me to get a very good education. I went to the number six high school in the country uh, in regards to academics. Um, so I had a lot of advantages that people don't get to have. Now, here's the thing. Again, we're not talking about something that's on the surface level here. You know, when my mother's side of the family dealt with uh, uh, um, alcoholism as well as bipolar, um, so there was there was that that aspect of things. My biological father's side also dealt with bipolar, alcoholism, and depression. So it's like this is something that that is like does go down through the genetics of what it is that that we end up with. Now that doesn't mean that it's always going to end up that way, but it could certainly be seen as okay. Well, that makes more sense. Um, you know, but. Yeah, you know, so so here it is. It's like, like I said, I mean, I played golf. I mean, I I, I love playing golf. I got two hole in ones, won a number of different championships, uh, both individual and team play. Um, you know, I love doing that. Uh, I love playing baseball. Love doing all those things. And in fact, I was on a, a race car team. My father was an engine man on a race car team here in the local area. It was a dirt modified, and we won at eight track championships. Uh, in 13 years that I, that I've been there, and you know, so I had a lot of things as to where it's like, hey, you know what, the 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 wavelength was hitting the peak versus the valley, you know. Um, but here's the problem: when dealing with my depression and everything like that, you're not talking about like for me, it's not like mania, it's not like a, an extreme up and then a, an extreme low. It's really in regards to just like an even keel. You are flatlined. So you really don't feel all the highs and you don't feel all the lows. You don't feel them, but you're still experiencing them. And that's where people kind of get a little bit confused because they, they say, well, if I'm not feeling them, then how am I experiencing them? Like say, for instance, I also deal with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And you know, those who are going through post-traumatic stress disorder, you'll notice that, like, say, for instance, something happens and they don't flinch, right? They're not even in, involved because they're already on that even keel. They're, they're already there as to where it's like they're in a, a frame of mind that isn't allowing them to feel as much, okay? And then next thing you know, there's a problem, like all of a sudden they just make a decision that they're either going to, you know, make an attempt to take their life or they're going to lash out at somebody just out of just out of the blue or something in that sense. The reason is, is because even though that you're not feeling the emotions, they are happening within at the same time anyways. 
So, you know, this is something that needs to be understood when it comes to the education point. You know, just because you're not feeling these things doesn't mean that you're not experiencing them. Wow. That's some duality. Complex. Yeah. yeah, very complex. Yeah. Wow. And it's a lot of people. And that's why it's so confusing States. when somebody's dealing with it, too. You know, because the society will give you all the cliches in the world, the simple answers, when in fact it is not a simple answer. There is a lot to it, and that includes when you're taking the medications, and even more so because if you're taking medications in order to be able to help you, and and let me make this very clear, I am not uh, against taking medications. I believe that medications do have a place, and I believe that they're to help us regulate ourselves to the point as to where then we're able to do the work. In other words, you mentioned coping skills. So that's important as to where you do the work in order to utilize your coping skills to be able to help you a little bit further to manage it a little bit different instead of just kind of going through the day without processing things. So, you know, I mean, that's, that it's a real deal. It's a, it's a very real situation that a lot of people go through. Yeah, because most people, Shane, most people think uh, uh, being depressed is triggered by circumstances. Um, right. Like a, can't find a job or, you know, something going on in, in, in their life that society then dumped on them, and that's the cause of their depression. But um, it seems like it could be a lot of other um, things that plays into that. Yeah, in fact, those things are on top of <laughs> what it is that somebody might be dealing with. So it, it really compounds. And so that's why, you know, you end up finding that person as to where you'll have somebody like, say, for instance, let's say that they make an attempt at taking their life or they, or at least they lash out or they get in trouble with the police or whatever the case may be. And their loved ones will sit there and they'll say, I don't know what happened. Or, or they'll say, you know, like, how did this happen? Like, where did we go wrong type of thing? And they're not realizing that all of life's normal circumstances that everybody goes through, life is not the easiest thing in the first place. And then put it on top of something that you're dealing with when you're talking about clinical depression or any type of mental health challenge, whether it be bipolar, PTSD, codependency, whatever. On top of that is life's circumstances, life on life terms, they say. And and it just is added to it. It's not like it's just kind of replacing it. It's just added to what it is that we go through. You mentioned that uh, you came to terms or realized that you were having some issues um, at age uh, at 35, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did did uh, um, something uh, trigger that? Did an incident occur or something uh trigger that awake me or um, cause you to leak out, I mean, seek out for some type of assistance at that point? Well, in 2011, I lo- at the end of 2011, I lost everything that I could lose. And, you know, whether it be my job, whether it be the girl that I was with, or whether it be my career or what have you, it was very traumatic to me. And I lost everything. And I knew that I was in trouble. I knew that I was in trouble because I had made multiple attempts to take my life. And one of the things that, that one of the societies... That would make anybody... Least, look, that would make anybody want to take their life if they hadn't lost everything. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? they lost yes. everything. Yes, exactly. And, 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 you know, going from making just about six figures a year to wondering where you're going to get your next paycheck, you know, I mean, right. it was, and it was on December 23rd, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. like, so there was a whole lot that was going on. And I did, I made an attempt at taking my life. And as a result, I had what amounted to a stroke. Um, and so while doing that, due to the, the way that I had made the attempt uh, taking my life, which was with carbon monoxide, I, uh, there are um, uh, side effects that go along with that, and they, are, they last for a very long period of time. So I was sitting there, to be honest with you, I couldn't even get a sentence out. I mean, I was constantly stuttering. I was constantly going through all this thing. I had tremors going throughout my entire body. Um, when you say carbon you know, they monoxide, that I, are, we talk, 
excuse me, when you're saying uh-huh. carbon monoxide, are you talking about the car in the garage with the garage door closed type thing? Something like that. It, it was it was with a car. I was outside and and uh, I actually ingested. I actually took the hose and put it in my mouth versus oh, just wow. let it be in the car. Yeah, I was serious. Oh, you were serious. Yeah. Yeah. You, you boy. Yeah, you were real serious. Yeah, wow. absolutely. And you know, so um, here it is. I'm having tremors uh, going throughout my body. They thought that I had Parkinson's even um, because they thought that it might've been dormant uh, because, you know, the way that things were going on and they didn't know if it was still side effects from the carbon monoxide. So I went to every single, you know, therapy that you could possibly imagine, whether it be speech therapy, whether it be physical therapy, whether it be psych therapy, uh, depression, whatever. I went to all sorts of different things because I literally had to put my life on hold in order to learn why the heck do I think and feel the way that I do? And uh, I got some, I, I finally got some answers as I did started doing the work in that sense. Um, and, you know, I, then I started realizing it in, in, from my past and everything like this, like you talk about, I'll give you a, a, an example in regards to depression. You, you had mentioned, um, you know, what, what's that like and why is it different? One of the attempts that I had made, I was actually two stories high. And I was um, simply, I was passed out and I was hanging from two stories high and I fell from two stories high because the, the, the banister gave way. And as I did, I went in between the two banisters that were the floor down below. And as I went down between there, I landed on my head into some tin shelving and the hardwood floor and wow. knocked out. <laughs> Right. I was knocked out and I woke up and I noticed that my glasses were on the floor and they were in front of me. Now, here's the thing. I said, damn, my glasses broke. Not not owl. Yeah, not me. You know, not that maybe I broke or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, so I'm sitting here and I'm like worrying about my glasses more than anything. And then I came to realize, you know, it's like, okay, all right, maybe you broke something, you know, and then start moving around and everything like that. And I didn't break anything, but you don't fall like that and don't get banged up. Now here's the kicker. I ordered a pizza an hour later. That's how familiar I was with my pain. That's how familiar I was with the, with the, the circumstances that was going on within me. I was very familiar with the cycle and to the point as to where, you know what, but I was a survivor too. I was a fighter. I know that you have a show called In the Ring. I, was, I threw hands for a while. You know? So it's like right. I, that's the way that I do things. And um, you know, so I was a fighter and I was dying at the same time. And, you know, it was, it was a hell of a life that I was going through. Um, I was at a, um, in the hospital at one point in time, and I, I had made the attempt to take my life. And they, they, um, they said, listen, you're awfully comfortable in your depression. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like you got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> like, how comfortable can I be if I'm trying to take myself off of this earth? Like, seriously, how comfortable do you think that I really am? And at the time, you know, I was a little bit definitely defiant. And there's an old saying when it comes to therapy and everything, and that is that feelings aren't facts. And I would kind of like snap back at them, and I'm like, well, here's a fact for you. I feel this way, you know. Um, and so they, they came to me, and they said, you, you, you seem to be really, you know, comfortable in your depression. So I'm like, okay, check, please. Let me the heck out of here. Um, and to also, I wanted to, that's when I made the decision that I was going to go home and I was going to work on what the, um, what the language of mental health really is and how to determine how somebody can, you know, how to relate with somebody with mental health versus mental wellness. And that was something that was important to me. That's some powerful stuff, Shane, and it's kind of scary in a sense, man, because there's a lot of people that's walking around that 
that's dealing with this issue uh, internally and people don't know and um, you, know, you think about the suicide attempts in America today and it makes me wonder uh, how many of these people had similar issues and really not knowing how to deal with it and the ones that choose to take themselves out and the ones that choose to take others out with them. Indeed. They don't care. Indeed. And, you know, that's another thing is, is the fact that, you know, a lot of people do think, and, and you have mentioned it, is, is like it's due to circumstances. It really is not. What it is is that it's something that they live with 365 days out of the year. Somebody will say, you know, when it comes to suicidality, oh, he was weak or, oh, he took the easy way out or, oh, um, you know, it was because of this. In most cases, when it comes to suicidality, it's something that has been festering for quite some time. It might be something that might be for a couple months. It might be something that's for a couple years. It might be a couple decades that comes from when you were a kid and everything's just kind of compounding. You know, there's that aspect of things. It is not easy to then make the decision to take your own life. I, no, I'll be straight up with now, just. Just thinking about it now, Shane, that's a, that's a scary thought, man, because I love me. I might hurt somebody but, else, but I'm not going to hurt me. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's it's just not a scary easy. thought. Yeah. And, and that, you know, and so when somebody's sitting there and, and they're making these cliches and these simple, these simple statements, they really don't have a clue with what the real deal is. And as that's right. going on, you know, somebody – I, I, the way I explain it to like when it comes to suicidality is that you kind of go back in the box. Now we're both innovators, right? We're both entrepreneurs. We're both trying to, you know, make a dent in the world. And when we say these things, we say, Hey, look, you know, we're going to think out of the box, right? Well, when it comes to suicidality or, or depression or mental health in itself, you kind of go falling back into the box. And I'm not just talking about mental health as in like mental illness. I'm also talking about mental health. As I said, you know, there's a lot of us that go through this. People who deal with chronic pain, for instance, people who deal with chronic illness, as well as mental illness, deal with this thing. So you kind of adapt to what the diagnosis is or what the symptoms are. So you kind of like go back in the box. Now you're in the smallest thing that you could possibly imagine, and you're with you, yourself, and you, and you're your own worst enemy. And, you know, so next thing you know, you start asking questions. And like I said, it's not easy to just make the decision that you're going to take yourself out. But here you're going to start asking yourself some questions, and you're going to say, you know, well, won't your parents miss you? Your parents are going to miss you. They're going to, they love you so very much. They're going to, they're going to be so upset because you, you passed away and you did this. And then you start answering your questions. That's where the problem is. Because you start oh, answering I'm your questions to like yourself. they <laughs> start yeah. answering your own questions. Now you're in trouble because now you're sitting there and you say, yeah, they will love me and they'll miss me and everything in that sense, but they won't have to go through what they've been having to go through for so many years. They won't have to you know, be there while I'm in the hospital. They won't have to hear how I lost my job. They won't have to hear how I lost my relationship. They won't have to, you know, I won't be that burden anymore. And then the wow. next thing would be, well, well, won't your friends, you know, miss you? And, you know, it's like, yeah, but here's the thing. Do they really know me? Because what they know of me is on the surface. What they know of me is that happy guy, that, that guy who smiles and, and who jokes around a lot and who, does, who participates in a lot of different things. That's who they know. They don't know what's deep down inside in the darkness. Tears of so, a clown. Yeah, so this is, this is where – Tears of a clown where you laugh and smiling you, on the outside but crying and hurting on the inside. You got it. You got it. And that's what a lot of people deal with. And, you know, and what I try to do is whether it be through my – as an individual, whether it be a life improvement coach or whether it be a motivational speaker or whether it be through the Speaking the Heart podcast network, is that I try to identify with what people are, are, are going through through my own experiences. And in doing that, I now know how to help them 
because I know what helped me. And while that was working, now I can utilize my empowerment skills to be able to bring them to another level so that they can see that they can be more than the challenges that they face, even though they might be going through some stuff. And, I, and, and truly, that makes you um, uh, a great speaker. And, and people tend to listen more to people that can actually talk from their actual experiences versus those that got it out of a book. Right. I mean, they yeah. can hear they can hear your they can hear your struggle, they can hear your pain, they can hear your sincerity. I mean, they know that you know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And that that that's why I've got the audience that I have is because of my transparency. It's not believe me, it's not because I went to school for this craziness. You know, what I mean, it's like I I didn't go to school in order to build a podcast network. I didn't go to, I didn't even go to broadcasting. You know what I mean? It's like I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> that was my intent. I was, I was going to be a lawyer at some point in time. Um, I, guess we, I, think, I guess we both came in it from the left field because it definitely wasn't my intention to do this either. Right? <laughs> I just happened to be good at it, you know what I mean? Um, and then next thing you know, it's like I started getting my audience because I was being transparent because I was able to say, hey, look, yeah, I've made some left-hand turns in my life, and yeah – I've I've gone through some stuff and I and I can talk to you about it so that you can understand that I can identify with what you're going through. And you know, and while you realize that I understand it now, now I can help you. And you know, but at the same time I'm also, you know, I'm hardcore too because I'm not going to sit there and just let you be stuck. I'm not just going to sit there and let you justify why it is or validate why it is that you think and feel the way that you feel because that's really not my purpose. My purpose isn't to validate who it is that you are. My purpose is to help you realize that you're more than the challenges that you face and to take you to another level. That's what it is that I, that I do. So when people sit there and they say, oh, well, you don't understand, and sometimes the answer is I'm not meant to understand. I'm not meant to understand what it is that you're going through. I'm meant to be able to help you process through it so that we can now leave it behind like a snakeskin, leave it behind so that you can then go up to another level and you can start doing what it is that you are meant to do versus what it is that you feel like or what you may merely be existing to do. Great. Shane, they tell me that you've lived in 16 states. I mean, what's that about? Yeah. That was all about trying to find a place to fit, man. I mean, that, that was really all it was. It was always trying to find, you know, whether it be through my mental illness, and I also dealt with addiction, uh, you know, so addiction was something that kind of like was very familiar to go right along with the feelings that I was having, um, you know, when it, when it came to, you know, finding that, that release, that outlet. Uh, to be able to deal with some of the stuff that was being thought and felt through me, um, you know, and so in dealing with those those challenges and life on life's terms, as they are, you know, I mean, I've dealt with, I was actually, um, I was sexually assaulted uh, three times. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you, are we talking about drug addiction, food addiction, uh, sexual addiction? Uh, what type of addiction are we speaking of? Anything but drugs and alcohol, really. I mean, I loved what I liked. You know what I mean? It's like whether it be sports, uh, I never thought that, you know, liking statistics and sports was going to lead me into sports gambling. I never, you know, thought that the, you know, I thought everybody loved sex the way that I did. Apparently, I'm a little bit more than what some might think. Um, <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, um, you know, and then there's, you know, or, or how about the, the little things like just like being reckless sometimes, you know, it's like you left your, you left your wallet, uh, in your, in your car and you know, your car is unlocked. Okay. And then you go ahead and you take the gamble that it's going to be there because you're not going to go back to your car. Instead, you're going to go do what you're going to do and, oh, it'll be there later, you know, when, when I get back, you know, those types of things. I mean, it was just, you know, certainly, uh, you know, not a well mind uh, when it came to those types of things. And, and I had to go through a 12-step program in order to be able to learn 
a little bit more, learn that, you know what, I wasn't a piece of garbage like I thought that I was and like society might have thought that I was because of me being an addict and, and from that, that term, um, you know, and I was dealing with some stuff and I had to learn that, you know, I had to process through some stuff. And, and after doing that, I started learning a little bit. And to be quite honest with you, what I utilize to be able to help others certainly does go along with my experiences as well as 12-step, as well as what I call the optimal frame of mind. And I think the hard part, a lot of people know that there's an issue that exists and they need help, but I guess the hard part is taking that other step and actually going out and trying to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it, it kind of makes me wonder, it kind of makes me wonder too, Shane, because, you know, there you hear about a lot of people that, that's, uh, um, they're attempting suicide, but they do, what is it, suicide by police or something where they create a right. situation to have somebody else do it, which is actually the same thing. And it it, it kind of makes me wonder, are some of these people still dealing with some of these other depression issues, even even the ones that, that uh, go into Walmart someplace and start shooting up the place? And it makes you think. These these other people are innocent. They have nothing to do with nothing. Now, what would create a situation in one's head that would make them want to go and do that? And then you listen to the news. Uh, yeah. They got all this big stuff about, uh, you know, taking guns out of the market and uh, going after the people that sell guns, don't sell guns, don't sell guns. But then, um, you know, I come from Texas, too, where I grew up shooting BB guns <laughs> in 22s and I, I've yeah. never seen, you know, you heard a guy say we've never seen a gun pick itself up and go shoot somebody. So then it makes right. you think about why aren't they putting more focus on the people? They may have issues that go out and do these things. I don't know. I'm trying to see. You know, I don't know if my question is making sense, but it seems like oh, they no, want to it's put making sense. It's something. I mean, place. it's a trending topic now, right? I mean, it's definitely a trending right. topic, and I can actually talk to you about it in in something that you would understand a little bit as well. Um, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Some, a mental, somebody who's dealing with depression, somebody who's dealing with mental health, they do not need a gun. They don't need a gun. They don't need a gun for themselves. They don't need a gun for anybody else or any protection-wise or anything like that because it really is something that could be an issue. Now, here's the bottom line. When it comes to the news and everything in this sense, it is so over-dramatized and everything in that sense, and that is that, okay, we have a shooting here, so what do we do? First thing that they do is they start to look and see if they have a mental health diagnosis, see if they're taking medication, see if, they're, see if they have a psychiatrist, see if they have a history of mental health. That's the first thing that they do. Now, here's the reality of the situation. The majority of people who deal with mental health are likely to hurt themselves before they'll hurt anybody else. And when I say the majority, I'm talking like 98%. Okay. Now, here's the, the situation that, that happens when it comes to mental health. And I can, I can actually go along with what it is that you're saying. You're from Texas. You've, you've had the, the uh, familiarity of with having a gun, a BB gun, whatever the case may be, right. for forever. Right. Now, I had the opportunity in order to be able to work with Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was uh, the school that was in Florida that unfortunately had 17 deaths uh, due to a mass shooting. And the young man that was the shooter dealt with mental health like in a big, big way. And it was very, very evident. You know what I mean? There was no question about it. He had problems with his anger issues. He definitely, I, it's never, it, they, they won't say because of HIPAA violation or anything in that sense. He definitely has, you know, some symptoms of what would be like autism or something in that sense in a high spectrum. Um, but he also deals with obvious anger issues and so forth. I mean, constantly. And yet he was able to get multiple guns and ammunition. Now, who's, who is you know, responsible for this? First of all, he is. That's number one. 
Second right. of all, the person who's selling the, 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 the gun definitely should have some ownership. Now, here's the thing. There was multiple, multiple times as to where cops were called in on this particular person for a number of different reasons. That should have been in the list somewhere that would have been very easy to pick up, you know, when they go ahead and they put in their driver's license number or their or their social security number or something in that sense. But for whatever reason, they kept on falling through the cracks. Now, do I personally think that everybody in the world needs a gun? No. Do I think that there are way too many guns in, in the country as is, and do I think that there are people out there that have guns that really don't really need them and really should not have them? Yes, I believe that there's way too many out there and so forth. Do I believe that people have the right to, to protect themselves? Yes, I do. So I kind of play the middle of the field, all right? I'm not right. a black and white type of guy. But, you know, bottom line is, is that mental health is thought about on the surface level. It's not thought about on the, on the deep level because if it's on the deep level, well, then guess what? Now we've got issues because we have situations as to where pharmaceutical companies you know, are going to be called in question. Now we've got situations when we've got hospitals that are going to be called in question. We've got therapists that are going to be called in question. There's going to be a lot of different things that are going to come along that people don't really want the answers to, quite frankly. So, you know, I mean, so what we're doing is, is that we're now finding out that, hey, you know what, this person's going through some stuff. Well, why didn't we know that before? Like, seriously, why wasn't that seen before? Because I guarantee it was seen, it was just overlooked, or it was looked the other way. And that's I'm what... That part, that to... second part. Yeah. That, that, that second part because of the dollar. Yeah, it's looked the other way. Or it's that, or, or you know what? It's also the fact of our individualistic society that's out there too. You know what? If yeah. it's not, if it's not dealing with me, then I'm all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's like as long as I don't have to deal with it, life's good. I got enough problems yeah. in my life. I've got enough things that I go through. I got enough on all that. Here's the bottom line, though: when it comes to mental health, one out of every four or five people in our country deal with a mental health challenge. Now. Whether or not that they want to look at it or not, that's a totally different scenario. But the reality is one out of every four or five people deal with mental health, or they know somebody who deals with mental health. Think about how many packs of four or five people that you know, Lamont, and then you start realizing how big of an issue that we really have here. And so, oh, I know. you know, yeah, right. I mean, even in a in a in a decent sized family, you've got at least one or two. You know, I mean, for sure. And, and, and they're and, in, hey, look, and they're in, and Shane, they're in denial. Yeah, always, right? <laughs> exactly. They're you know, and th and that's another thing. That's why I say, you know, we do need to take ownership. We do need to take ownership about what it is that we're going through and everything in that sense. Problem is, is that people aren't like. Getting them to sit down and say, hey, look, we really think that this is the problem. And then, you know, and being able to have somebody say, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, and, and then kind of learning what's going on. Listen, I was 35 years old when I had to take myself out of my world. You know what I mean? I mean, it's because I finally just had enough. I mean, obviously, I was willing to take myself out numerous, numerous times. But I finally came to the, to the point as to where I needed to know the answers. I needed to know why it is that I was thinking and feeling the way that I was. And then all of a sudden, the education was there. All of a sudden, you know, I started learning as to what this is all about. Like think about codependency, for instance. I was totally ignorant to codependency. One time I was in a, um, in a group session, and I was teaching somebody how to do goal setting, right? <laughs> And it was coming from, again, one of my experiences of failure, right? Because I would always, you know, I would set my goal to G. I would go from A to G, right? Because I would say, well, I can make D easy and I can, you know, I can stretch myself to F. So let's make the goal G. That means I'll reach outside of what it is that I'm mailed by. I was always in personal development, even when I was very young. I just didn't feel it the way that they did. I wanted to, but I didn't feel it. So I would go ahead and I would set my goal to G. So I'm sitting here in this, in this group session, and I'm teaching people how to do goal setting, 
right? Because I finally figured it out. You know, you got to go from A, B, C, D, you know, and, and, and the reasons why. Well, it happened to be that the director of the program was substituting for the supervisor at the time. And she was sitting there and she was just watching me. And you know how, like, your mother just, like, watches you? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, and you know, she knows something that you don't know. <laughs> well, she was sitting there, and she was just watching me. And I said, what? And she goes, do you know what codependency is? And I said, well, why would I, why are we talking about codependency? I'm very independent. Like, I, I'm a very independent person. I've lived in 16 states in this, this country. I've, I've done a whole lot. of. And she's just like, oh, Shane. Like, you really don't know. And so I was looking at her with my head to the side, and I'm like, what don't I know? And so I went home, and I started reading about codependency. And next thing I know, Lamont, I started realizing where a whole lot of my pain was and in regards to codependency. And, and I was always a rescuer, and I was rescuing everybody. And at the same time, I was rescuing people that weren't ready to be rescued, you know, and it was creating a right. whole lot of pain. So this is the thing. If you're not really working on what works, if you're really not working on a, you know, what's going to help you, then you are just going to continue on throughout life because whether or not that you are thinking about suicidality or not, it's not easy to take yourself off this earth without, you know, unless if, unfortunately you would have the medical means of being the situation. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that we, there's a lot of people out there that are suffering. There's a lot of people that just go through life on a daily basis and really don't know why. Wow. Which brings about another question for me is, because um, what I'm hearing, well, not so much a question, but a statement. What I'm hearing is that change is not really going to come about until you make a conscious decision that you're ready to change, but that doesn't even come until you honest with yourself and recognize that there is a problem. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because like you, like you mentioned, you know, it's like they're in denial. It's like, yeah, they are, because that's what society will teach us to do. You know, I mean, it will tell us. Like, yeah. like say, for instance, if, if you sit there and, and you, you tell somebody, listen, you got to get over it. You got to get over, you know, whatever you're depressed about, whatever that is, you got to get over it, you know, because you're going to lose your job or you're going to lose your family. You know, I talk about it through um, a statement. Uh, I kind of talk about it through a concept called water on a grease fire. And water on a grease fire is something that relates to the relationship between the person who is dealing with some challenges and the loved ones that are trying to help them. And, you know, when we were younger and everything like that, we had, you know, uh, fire safety and fire prevention and all, all that, right? We had those weeks at school and stuff, and, and they teach us about, you know, fire, and they would tell us, you know, that water is a pretty good thing when fire is around. And, you know, but the thing is, is that when we're talking about a grease fire, well, that's not really a good thing at all, is it? And... So what I'm talking about is water on a grease fire. What happens is, is that somebody will be a loved one or something, and they're, they're, just, they're just trying to help a person. I've noticed that through you know, just the, the average person that's out there, you know, human nature, you know, we don't want somebody to fail or fall, right? Because if somebody falls, what happens? Somebody tries to catch you, right? And, you know, I mean, so that's – go ahead. No, I just said in most instances, someone will try to help you. But yeah, like right. You were You're not earlier today about this individualistic society you have, some people will walk by and just look at you and say, oh, he fell down. Yeah, that's true. I've been there too, trust me. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about hopefully the good ones, right? You know, are going to at okay. least try to, you know, you're talking about your loved ones. Your loved ones are going to like try to, to catch you, right, from, from falling into a, a, an abyss. So that's what it is that we do. And, you know, I mentioned the fact that I used to throw hands, and I, I talk about this, is that if you are now, you know, you're, you're the manager, and I'm the fighter, right? Okay? And you're, you're a loved one of mine, and so you know that I've prepared for this fight, and I've been ready to go, and, and I'm really looking forward to, to winning this fight. And you know what it is, the sacrifices that I made and everything in that sense. 
And I'm sitting there, and I'm in the fight, and then all of a sudden, boom, I end up on the canvas. Now, you as my manager, what's the very first thing that you're going to say? Get your ass up. (laughs) Get your ass up, right? Exactly. Now, here's the thing. You didn't necessarily see what put me down. But the thing is, is that you're looking at it from the manager's standpoint. You're looking at it. It's like, damn, Shane, you got hit by much worse the last fight, or you got hit by more than that before. You know, it's like what I've been training you how to take these punches. Get up. Right, exactly. So, like, what the hell are you doing on the on the ground? Get your ass up. Well, the problem is, is that you didn't see that short right that hit my chin, you know, before the left hit my jaw, right? Right. So you saw the left. You saw the left that put me down, but you didn't see the right, the short right, and it's always the short ones, right? <laughs> it's always the short ones yeah. that clip you. They always clip you, and you're, next thing you know, it's like, oh. You know, you're you're like, where, where am I type of thing. So you didn't see that short right that clipped my chin. Now, here's the thing. You're telling me to get my ass up. So now you're just like society. You're telling me that, hey, look, you've been hit harder before. I've been hit harder before. Right? You know, it's like you're sitting there, and now you're making it personal. And you're saying, listen, you got to get up. you got to do what you need to do because you've done everything that you can in order to be able to – to win this fight, you want to do this, and you, we're doing this for you, right? And next thing you know, I start trying to get up. But here's the thing. I don't have my legs underneath me anymore. Right. Now, you have experience in boxing. That's not a very good thing because you're either going to go down again or you're going to go down hard. And that's really <laughs> yeah, a- real hard this time. Right, exactly. You know, it's like Wilder is about ready to wind up that left that is going to knock the hell, and you're not Fury, okay? Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like you're staying down. Um, and that's what water on a grease fire is. Everything that we know as instinct to be able to help somebody not fail or fall really works against us when it comes to that relationship because we're sitting there and we're telling you, listen, you don't understand. I'm not just dealing with an emotion of depression. I'm dealing with dread. I'm actually having suicidal thoughts. I'm actually not wanting to live anymore. I'm actually not wanting to be this anymore. You know, and next thing you know, you're sitting there and saying, you got you to gotta get over this. You got to get better. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And next thing you know, you're creating that void. You're creating that void to be bigger and, and worse and darker than what it's ever been before. And that's really what society does is a proponent of is to, you know, hey, look, this is what you got to tell your son. This is what you got to tell your daughter in order to make sure that they don't just, you know, don't either number one, don't don't just go on disability or don't just go to a therapist. You know, they're still working. They need to be working. They need to be doing this and, and being ridiculed and everything in that sense, even from, you know, from our political standpoint or from, you know, a family standpoint or whatever the case may be. That's what will happen. And, you know, next thing you know, somebody's going to start hiding that they're going through some stuff. And that's where you find out, hey, you know what? <laughs> It's not a good situation, you know. So right, Shane. Shane, I don't want to c- cut you off, but listen, we're down to the last minute and a half of the show, and I want you to give mm-hmm. our listeners the opportunity to come look you up and uh, come check you out on your show. Well, listen. I, first of all, I want to say thank you for the opportunity in order to be on your show. I really do appreciate it. Love to have you on our show at some point in time. Um, actually, you know, uh, it's real, real simple. I am Shane Schultz. You can find me on Facebook. It's Shane Schultz uh, speaking to the heart, uh, and that is because I own the Speaking to the Heart podcast network, where I have eight different shows that are designed to help people reach outside of what it is that they're ailed by. Uh, You know, I actually do promote, uh, or I should say, I actually do produce each show. Um, I actually have developed each show. uh, So there is a reason why it is that I have somebody on my network. They don't just get on my network for any particular reason outside of what it is that's going to help my audience. Um, You know, so I have a number of different shows that are there. It's, the website is speakingtotheheart.org. Uh, we also have a digital toolbox, which is uh, called Easy Card. And what that'll do is that you, you do easycard.com forward slash the number two and the word heart, 
and that'll get you all linked up to what it is that we do on um, on your desktop. And if you're listening to us on cell phone or any mobile device, you can go to um, you can go ahead and do a call text. Uh, so you text six four six zero zero, and then in the text you go ahead and you type the number two and the word heart, and you're linked with us with everything that we got. So. You know, I mean, we've got shows that are in regards to uh, motivation. We've got shows that are in regards to uh, healthy humor. Uh, we've got shows that are in regards to nutrition, meditation. Uh, we got shows. Uh, we just did a show um, that we started called Proudly Served, which is for uh, the military service uh, community, not only the military service men and women, but also the, the components of and which include like your family, your, your parents, as well as your children that are involved in that, you know, so we know what a lot of things that are going on out there and we're there to help. So it's all about entertainment, uh, education and empowerment all in one spot. Thank you so much, Shane. And we're definitely going to look forward to having you back with us again and uh, appreciate you. And for those that join the show late, it'll be available in its entirety worldwide in one minute. So, can't say you didn't hear it. Ask your mama, ask your daddy, ask your neighbor, ask the milkman, somebody to tell you where you can hear this show. And we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Have a blessed week. Can a player play out? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus